All right, so we're going to go home now. I think we're uh, pretty much done. That's uh, taking all the air out of the room, but uh, we are so glad you're here this morning in worship. Thank you for being with us. So grateful for our choir and our music team, our orchestra, and uh, all the folks, the tech folks, everybody that makes all this happen and send us home feeling blessed every week, and I'm grateful for them. And uh, I'm going to ask us to pray together for just a moment, and uh, then we're going to move into our message. Father, I, I do ask that you will uh, help us in what we've just heard, to see our King high and lifted up, the King of mercy, the one who loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we have done, in spite of what we have become, you still care. Thank you. Thank you that we can boldly a- approach your throne, that we can courageously come because of the blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that our sins are covered, our sins are obliterated from your sight, and they will never be held against us again because the King of mercy has paid the price for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus today. May everything that we think, hear, say, and do point us now to him. For it's in Christ's name we pray. All of God's people said amen. We are continuing today. I want to I maybe encourage you a little bit. I'm going to not preach quite as long today. Please don't say amen. I don't... <laughs> My ego can't handle that, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, we're, we're still in our giving series, and uh, this is the second message in our giving series, and hear me say again, please, I do not do this if you are here for the first time. Uh, I do not preach on giving to beg, although I can do that. Uh, I do not do this to chide, to chastise, to make feel guilty, or to do anything but to say thank you and to teach us what the Bible says about giving. Uh, And one of the things that it tells us in stewardship, we want as a church to be good stewards of everything you give. We, We have ways of giving account for everything that we do with money. But one of the things that we do, if you give to the church, we do provide you with a, with a printout of what you've given. Uh, this year, that's going to be emailed to you. This week, in fact, that will be emailed to you. So please watch your email box for that. If you normally get one uh, and you're, you, are, you are off the grid and you, you, don't, you don't play with email, uh, let us know and we'll be glad to provide you with a hard copy. But if you don't ask for that, you will not get one in snail mail. You will not get one in your mailbox. But if you normally get one, it will be on your email account, not sent to your house. So please just know that's coming up this week. I'm so grateful for our uh, stewardship team, their care in accounting and their work and our uh, financial uh, staff that works at the office so hard. So we've got a lot of folks that work on this and I'm grateful. We've had, again, We've had a tough year in some ways because it's been a tough year economically for a lot of folks, but it's still been a very, very uh, joyful, and and you've been very generous in your giving this year, so we're thankful for that. And I want to talk to you about, um, what I want to do is is actually take you into um, 
the verse of Scripture that more than any other has influenced why I give. Now, sometimes we give, we give on autopilot. You know how that goes. We just do it. We don't think about it. It needs to be done. It's our duty, whatever. But sometimes you just need to step back and go, why am I doing this? What, what is the motivation? Why, and, and some people, well, I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord. Okay, you know, you're going to go to heaven whether you give or not, if you're a Christian. Your giving is not going to determine whether or not you get to go. But why, do you, why are you giving? And, the, and what I want to read for you today, out of my favorite book in the Bible, um, and you would almost have to be a pastor to understand why this is my favorite book in the Bible, but my favorite book in the Bible, and... This verse, more than any other, influences my motivation for giving. And if you don't have a verse, hopefully maybe you can pick this one up and use this as your motivation too. But it is why I do it. And every time I read it, I'm reminded this is why we give. This is what we do as we, as we share uh, our, our financial resources and treasures. Uh, so I want to read from 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul begins, and he's talking about the Macedonian Christians, and he's speaking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonian Christians. He said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme Poverty. That's an interesting word. The word extreme there, uh, the Greek word that, that we interpret there, we also use, uh, we, we also get the word bathosphere. Uh, the, the word is bathos. They're, they're extreme. They're, their poverty was so deep. That's what that means. It was deep. It was, a, it was, a, it was not just poor. It was deep poverty. But out of their extreme their deep poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Um, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Have you ever... Have you ever thought about an offering as, oh, no, I, I get to give. No, I, I want to give. I want, I want the blessing. I want the joy of giving. Please, let me give. That's, that's not the way we all do it. Uh, but they, they were saying, no, we want. We're broke. We have nothing. They should be sending us offerings, but we want to give. We want to share what God has given us. And Paul continues, they said this, they did this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you, Pastor Titus at the church at Corinth, that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, and earnestness, and in our love for you, see also that you excel in this grace of generosity also. 
Now, here's the verse. This is my, my motivational verse for giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Here it is, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, for your sake, he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why do we give? A man that was a wealthy industrialist during the mid-1800s lived in Atlanta, or lived near Atlanta, and uh, had a beautiful mansion, palatial estate mansion, uh, just had everything that you could have in this world. He didn't, he made a lot of money, but he didn't trust banks, so he kept his money in trunks, these big trunks, that he hid in a crawl space under his house. Very secure area, a lot of, lot of you know, protection around him. And that's where he put his money. Uh, well, again, it was mid-1800s, deep south, Civil War. And one day the Union troops came to town. He fled with his family for their lives. They left everything, just got out of the house with their lives and ran. And it was some months before he came back and realized to his dismay that the shelling that the Union troops had done had just blown his home to pieces, burn it down. But as he was digging through the rubble, He got to the area where the crawl hole was and he pulled back some burned boards and there were the trunks, the trunks that he had put his money in, all secure. They hadn't burned. He pulled them out, still full of money. He'd lost his house, but he's still rich. And so as he started to rebuild, wanted to go to the store, get some supplies and get some, get some food and, and start working on rebuilding his home, he, he took a couple of hands full of that money and took it into the store and got his groceries and was going to pay for what he had gotten. And the owner of the store said, sir, we don't take that kind of money anymore. He was rich in Confederate money. He was winning. If that kingdom was winning, he was on top of the pile. You know what, you know what happens to us, folks? We spend our lives investing in the wrong kingdom sometimes. You see, you also live in a world that's at war, and one day it's all going to burn down. And the things that you think are valuable right now are going to be worth nothing then. It's kind of like winning at Monopoly, isn't it? I mean, it's a great feeling. I've not won a lot of Monopoly games, but I have won some. And when I win, it feels good. It's a good game. It's wonderful to be the guy with the most money on the board, the railroad and the, and the hotels and the, you know, people having to pay you rent and, and you're making all this money and your pile just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you're zooming around your little sports car around the board and everything's great. 
And then the game's over, and what happens? You know. All the pieces go back in the box. And all the little pieces of paper go back in the little plastic holder. And one day, you go in the box. And people are going to come by and look at you and say, oh, doesn't she look wonderful? And then they're going to go eat potato salad. <laughs> Is that what we're working for? It's a monopoly game, folks. Take all that monopoly money out and put real dollars in. There's no difference. At the end of the day, nothing's going to count except what you managed to transfer into an eternal kingdom. Amen. Welcome to the transfer site. Glad you're here today. This is your opportunity to be able to do that. Or, hey, follow the advice of the man who had everything nailed down and ended up with nothing on this earth or in eternity. I'm not begging you today. Paul wasn't begging here. He was not. He was saying, you know, here's an opportunity. Paul was trying to kill kind of two birds with one stone. He was trying to reconcile a very, very, very fragmented group of believers of people, there were a bunch of poor Christians in Jewish Christians in Jerusalem uh, who were starving to death, literally, in Jerusalem. And there were Gentile churches that were just, people were just being saved out of the Gentile world, non-Jewish world, coming into the churches. And Paul was trying to help those two groups get along. Well, the best way to do that is say, let's take an offering from the Gentile churches and take it to the Jewish churches in Jerusalem, and they'll know we're all on the same team. They'll, they'll know we're together. Okay, that was kind of what was going on. So this, this, this offering was more than buying food. It was buying unity. It was, it was providing, hey, these people love you. They care about you. So Paul said, this is a really important thing to do. But he uses the, the Macedonian church as, as an example. And I want to say three things real quick, and then I'll be done, I promise. They, they, number one, he, he talked about the Macedonian church. He said, they gave, they gave in spite of their circumstances. Now, we give if our circumstances allow we give, how many times have you said, well, you know what, I'm going to start giving when, when what? Pay off the house, get the kids through college, pay off our credit cards. I'll give when, I, I win that, you know, that lottery ticket that you keep buying, thinking that'll do it. If I can hit the lottery. You, do you have any idea how many times I've prayed for lottery tickets? Or people have brought me a lottery and said, would you please pray that I'll win? And if I win the lottery, I'll give the church 10%. I said, I'll make you a deal. I will pray for your lottery ticket. But I said, if you win, you will give the church 90% and you will keep 10%. And they stopped bringing the tickets to me. They didn't want, you know. So I don't, I don't know what happened, but 
But, you know, I'm, I'm not too good to pray for a lottery ticket to win. If you don't get a piece of it, it's all right, okay? But the Macedonian Christians were not uh, wealthy by any measure. Uh, they aren't today. We've been around them. We've worked with uh, churches in Macedonia in recent years, and, and they're still very poor. And, but you know what I've experienced over and over again? Sometimes the most generous people on earth are the ones that have the least to give. Have you ever seen that happen? I mean, I know there's exceptions. There's sometimes poor people can become resentful and miserly and, you know, resent other people having things. But in reality, many of them will show this grace of generosity that Paul's talking about here that the Macedonians showed. He said, they're, they're in, he said these people are in an extreme trial. He was thankful. He said, I'm glad they didn't wait until they got out of their extreme trial to give. They went ahead and gave in spite of their circumstance, in spite of their extreme trial, in, in spite of their, of their deep poverty they gave. Like the widow who gave all that she had at the temple. She's an example of that. Jesus said to the disciples, she gave all that she had. Think about that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given all? I mean, I know some of us have given big gifts, but have you ever given everything you had? No, I doubt that any of us have really ever had that experience, but she did. I wonder how that would feel. And isn't it great that Jesus was there watching when she did it? He watched. And she put her two little coins in that box and walked away. And let me tell you what she didn't do. She did not walk away going, what am I going to do now? she walked away with complete confidence that God was going to take care of her. She walked away joyfully. She traded her two little coins for joy. They gave in spite of their circumstances, but secondly, they gave from their hearts, Paul said. They gave from their hearts. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord, verse 5, and then by the will of God to us. You know, the, the giving should never, giving never should be motivated by external pressure. I hope you never feel pressure from me to give because I'm never trying to apply pressure. If you feel convicted about giving, I'm praying it's the Holy Spirit convicting you, not me. Because I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about giving. That is not how I want to do this. And I never have. I never have in 30 years, I've never preached a sermon intending to make you feel guilty about not giving. Never done it. And I'm not going to start today. So this is not about pressuring you and twisting your arm to give. I try to make you aware of needs, but the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, not somebody that's been pressured into an offering. Now let's be honest. The money, the offering given by a grumbling church member will spend just the same as the money given by a joyful church member. All right? I, and and when, when we're, you know, uh, the, the counting committee gets together on money, they start counting money. They look at, I mean, they have all the cash and checks and all the stuff that's come in, and they look at it all. Well, we don't know where it came from. We don't know, was this given joyfully or was this a grumbling church member? We don't know, it's all the same to us. But it's not the same to you. If you gave joyfully... You walked away with more joy. 
if you gave grumbling and griping, you just walked away with less money. Which do you want? Now, again, I'm glad you gave. But folks, understand, you're not giving to this church. You do not give an offering to this church. You do not give an offering to pay the staff or to pay you. You do not give an offering for that purpose. You give everything you give to God. And that starts transferring your assets into heaven. Okay? Now, I talk to some people who say, well, I don't like what's going on, so I'm going to stop giving. Well, you're taking money out of your own account. You know? And, and you know, if you, I, I, I can't make you happy to give, but I can tell you if you start giving joyfully, you, you won't want to go back. I will promise you that. You know, when David Livingston died, and, and part of it, again, comes back to this, first give your heart to the Lord. First, give your heart to the Lord. Jesus said, where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. Give your heart to the Lord. Your treasure will be there. It's fine. Where's your heart? David Livingston, uh, Dr. Livingston lived in Africa and a brilliant man. Uh, He's known as one of the greatest missionaries Africa ever had. And when he passed away in Africa, the tribe where he was working at that time, the tribal elders came together and they made a decision. He died they, he was leaning up against a tree when he died. And they, and they took his body before they started to, they had to carry it out of the bush into it, to the ocean um, to, to meet his family there. But before they sent his body, they cut out his heart. And they wrote a note to his family thanking them for the gift of David Livingston. And they said, we have kept his heart because his heart belongs to Africa. But they sent everything else. If somebody were to look at your life today, how would they finish the sentence? His heart belongs to Her heart belonged to. Where would you want to plant your heart? Paul said they gave their heart to us. But first they gave to the Lord. You know, and if you've really given your heart to Jesus, your treasure will follow naturally. Let me, let me finish right here. They gave from the example of Jesus. This, again, is so important to me. To my knowledge, I've never given a guilt offering. I've never given an offering to pay off God. I've never given an offering to try to negotiate with God. You know, he's not impressed. You say, well, God, I'll give $10 more a week if you'll do this. No, no, you know. You you know, here's here's what the funny thing is. We try to negotiate with God. Well, God, I'll start giving if you'll do this. If you'll give me that new raise or if you'll get me that new place or if you'll do this, I'll give you more. You know what you're doing? You're negotiating with God with his own money. You do understand that, right? He owns everything. So you can't give God something he doesn't already own. How about that? 
I mean, that's like you used to do as a kid. You would buy your, your dad, maybe your mom would slip you $10 and say, go buy your dad a Christmas present. Well, your dad's a fool if he thought he was $10 richer because you bought him a Christmas present because you bought it with his money. He's not richer. This, everything is God's. So he just says, you know, I'm just giving you a chance. If you would like to send some of this on ahead for yourself into eternity, well, by all means, here's your opportunity. And if not, keep it for the monopoly box. Because that day's coming. They gave with their eyes on Jesus. It was his example. Though he was rich, think rich, think owns everything. Owns everything in everything in that, that is everything. He owns everything. He was in that place and he gave that up. He gave that up so that he could come to earth in poverty and make you rich. That's what the Bible says he did. You know, as you give, you're, you're showing that you remember that very thing. And we're going to show in a moment as we come to the Lord's table, we're going to show we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. But let me just tell you this. If you're doing this right, every time you give, you are reminding yourself of what Jesus did for you. You're reminding yourself of what Jesus did for you. So are you rich? Are, you, are we rich in Christ? Well, you better know you are. You know, because of Jesus, we're rich in forgiveness. Our sins have been forgiven. Our debts have been wiped clean. I wonder how much money the richest people in the world would give to have peace, the peace that you have right now in Christ. I wonder how much money they would pay to experience the peace that you've already got as a Christian. You ever think about that? You know what everybody's looking for, right? That's what they're looking for. People aren't looking for money. They're looking for peace. I hope if I have enough money, I'll get peace. Hey, good news. It's free. If you receive Jesus, we're rich in fellowship. You know, there are those who really don't have a healthy family or any family at all on earth, but when you come to Jesus, you receive the riches of Christian fellowship and sharing in the mission of Christ around the world. There, there's a team in Guatemala today that we sent who are visiting family in Guatemala. Oh, oh well, there, somebody had, yes. Every Christian in Guatemala is family. Every Christian in Antigua that they're gonna meet is family. They can't speak the same language but they're connected in Jesus. You can share an offering here in Northeast Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, St. John, Florida. Nobody even heard of us. You can share an offering here today that could change somebody's eternity in Malaysia. That's what you get to do. Or you can keep it for your Monopoly board. We're rich in hope. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world we're living in right now is pretty depleted of hope. No promise of any more hope coming soon. It gets worse and worse if it's coming at all. But in Christ, this world is not your home. Amen? And we have hope because of Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
So I just mentioned about Malaysia. And I just got a note from the missionary from our church that works in that area. Jesus has your heart. Giving is never going to be much of a debate. If giving is an issue, a real question, the real question is really not what's wrong. You know, you got a wrong idea about money. No, your, your, heart's, your heart still belongs to you. You haven't given your heart away. A person who's given their heart to Jesus never debates giving. Just don't. It's how much can I give? Jesus was equal with God, but he released those rights to become a man. Jesus was immune from death. Will you lean into this for a minute with me, please? Jesus was immune from death. He became mortal and therefore susceptible to death. Jesus died on the cross. He really died. Really, really died. Dead, dead. Really died. Stop breathing. Brain functions. Everything stopped. Everything that we use to, to describe death, that happened to him. Buried him. Buried him. He came back to life on the third day. And we think, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Oh, no, no. You know what's really wonderful? You, because Jesus went through that. See, we don't, we don't even get this, guys. You will never die. Now, wait. I'm not talking about, well, I can't wait until I, you know, when I die and go to heaven, I'll have eternal life. No, you have eternal life now. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you, you believe these words of mine, you will live and never die. That is the place you ought to whoop. You will, you don't, see, you don't, let me say it louder. You didn't get it. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You don't have to die. You don't have to die. Well, wait, well, now, no way. Whoa, whoa, pastor. I've been to funerals. I've been to cemeteries. I've been, I've seen caskets. I, I know, no. That's not dying. That's your body taking a break. Your spirit never stops living. You will never, do you, do, you, do you understand how cool that is? Now, I'm an old man. I'm, I'm almost 70 now. I'm getting 69 this June. I'm, you know, I'm sneaking around the corner. And, and, I'm, and this is getting real to me. But I tell you, I'm getting more excited. I'm thinking, this is, what? I don't have to worry. What am I worried about? I'm not going to die. You know what that means? That means you can't ever say, you know what? I don't have enough time for that. You have eternity. You now have eternal life. Oh, I'm not saying it loud enough. You have eternal life. You're never going to die. You're never going to die. And we, we go, well, what does that mean? Well, it means you don't die. Why is that such a big deal? Because everybody in the world is afraid of dying. Except the people that lie and say they're not. Everybody's afraid of dying. Until you meet Jesus and then you go, oh. Wait a minute. Oh, so, so, so that's, I, I wish that would change the way you do evangelism. 
Because I'm going to tell you, you start a conversation with somebody and say, hey, would you like to never die again? Yeah, I'd love that. would be great. Okay, how, how, how does that happen? Let me, let me tell you, I have a way. There's a guy, there's some silly millionaire kid paying $2 million a year trying to get younger. It's all over the internet right now. He's getting younger, $2 million a year. Hey, I can beat that. I'll, I'll let you never die for free. You'll never die, period. You don't ever have to, you don't worry about, don't worry about getting old, you're not gonna die. Stop worrying about this silly stuff. This is not your problem. You are free, you do not have to die. And this is not even my sermon, so let me get back to my sermon. I, I'm sorry, I just got, listen, I, pr I preached this yesterday to a group of 100, 100 guys with guns, getting ready to go out and, and, and shoot skeet and stuff. You know, yesterday morning I was at a breakfast in, over in, uh, where was I, Bradford County somewhere, and I was preaching this. And these guys, I mean, of course, the first thing they looked at me like, you know, of course, the bad thing, well, I wore a Kentucky shirt, which was not smart in Gator Territory, so I thought, are they thinking about shooting me? But you could just see it on their faces. It was just like, what? They'd never heard that before. What? I don't have to die? Now, I'm not saying, again, your body is, is going to go through a season of decay and rebirth into something incredible where, guys, the ones of you that don't have hair and that bothers you, some of you try to not have hair, you shave it off. But if you want hair and you don't have it, guess what? You get hair. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jeff, there you are over there. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, you know, I mean, you get a perfect body. You're going to live forever. Listen, let me just tell you, you're going to live forever. Everybody in here, here's the, here's the other thing. Everybody in here is going to live forever somewhere. You're going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. Two options, two places. So not good news if you don't know Jesus. Great news if you do. You're not going to die. We go through all this, all this stuff. Listen, believe me, I, I understand it. I understand grief. But my wife didn't die. I know that. So, oh yeah, sounds like a grieving husband, you know. No, I'm not in denial. I saw what she went through, but she didn't die. She went home to Jesus. And she's as alive today, more alive than she's ever been, more alive. So is your loved one that knew the Lord. All right, let me get done, because we, we need to have the Lord's Supper too, so let me get to that. Jesus was sinless. You know, he, he, he was pure. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did all this for us. And what we celebrate at the Lord's table, we're gonna, we, we're gonna pray here in just a second. There, there's a young man named, uh, named Isaac. His dad was a pastor. Uh, went to this old church. This was back in the 1600s. Went to this old church. And, and their church uh, was one of those churches that still kind of, they didn't, they didn't believe in modulation of notes. When they did music, they didn't believe in melodies. They thought that was worldly. So their, their worship services were basically chanting psalms. Very, very dull. And the young man finally got up enough courage one day to go to his dad and say, Dad, I hate the music in our church. You heard that conversation before? 
hate the music in our church. And he said, uh, he said, okay, won't you write something? And so he wrote. Now, some of you will be disappointed. He wrote a contemporary Christian song. In fact, it was so contemporary, the church wouldn't sing it. I don't know that his father's church ever sang it. But it was years and years and years before the church finally started singing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so great a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. If I had everything to give, it wouldn't be enough to worship the one who gave himself for me. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, as we come to this table, we come desiring pure hands pure hearts. We do not pretend that this is something that we can do for ourselves. You have to do this for us. And in a moment as we, as we consider the bread and the cup that is before us, may we remember the Savior's heart that is behind it the gifts that he gives us of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, gifts now that he gives us for eternity that he continues to give. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive your gifts as we have received your word. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Now we're going to ask you to take the little container cup. We don't have many children in here, but we do ask our children. Parents, this is a great opportunity for you to teach your children. Um, my granddaughter, Mikhail, was here today with her cousin, Mac, and we were running around a little bit before church started this morning, and they found a big tray of these cups. And they said, what is this? And one of them said, it's crackers and jello. So well, almost. So I opened one up. And I explained to him what the bread was for. Representing the body of Jesus. And his sacrifice for us. And then I pulled back the cover. 
They asked me how the bread tasted. I said, it's awful. But <laughs> I opened the cover. They were fascinated with the juice. But they understood. I said, now, you're, you're not going to eat this yet. Because neither one of you have received Jesus yet. So when you do, this will be part of what you do to show that you love Jesus. Teach them. Tell them. Talk during this time. If your children are with you, but don't just let them have one of these to make them quiet, okay? Take this opportunity to say, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And what we're doing is we're remembering the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed. The Bible says that on that night, as the disciples were sitting around the table sharing the Passover meal, Jesus took the bread. And it says he broke it. And then he said, this, this is my body, which is given for you. They understood something significant was about to happen. Because these were not words that were spoken in the Passover. They were hearing something new. Jesus said, this is for you. What I'm going to do I'm doing for you. And today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what he did, he did for you and for me. Before we eat and drink, let me pray for us. Father, right now, as we take this bread, take this cup, We know they're small remembrances, but important ones that feed not just our body, but that really feed our souls. Remind us of the Savior who, though he was rich, became poor for us, that we might, through his poverty, be made rich. We're reminded in Philippians, Lord, that Jesus though he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but released it, made himself a man, became a man, a Jewish man, not just a man, but a slave, and not just a slave, but a mortal man who died and became obedient not only to death, but to death of the cross. And in his death, though he died, in humility and shame, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. 
and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now we eat this bread, thankful for the one who gave it to us. In Jesus' name. Jesus said, this is for you. Remember me as you eat. And then they took the cup. Please be careful. There is juice in there. It does spill easily. So don't stain your clothing with it. The cup was a, a powerful legal symbol. It was a, it was a covenant term, actually, when... When a, a family decided to, two families decided to prearrange the marriage of their children, the fathers, after that agreement had been made, would drink a covenant, a cup. They would drink a cup of wine together that said, this is a legally binding covenant. We're making a promise. My son will marry your daughter. Your daughter will marry my son. And they drank a cup to seal that agreement. Jesus said to the disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, what he's saying is this. With this cup, with the, with the blood that I'm going to shed, that this cup represents, I'm going to open a new way to God. That you come to God now by faith, not by your works. By trusting his word, not making your own efforts to be righteous. New covenant. And if you drink this cup, you're saying, this covenant is something that I want to be a part of. This is my covenant with God. And I will follow him by faith. Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. Today, if you, if you have never trusted Jesus, let's go back to this picture. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never found the way to eternal life, the way is open through Jesus Christ. And you can come today to receive that. Won't you stand with me, church? Uh, Brian's going to come lead us in our closing song. And if you have a decision to make and share, you can come and do that now.